Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. James Edwards III is in the building. I always forget the third whenever I introduce you, James, but I'm so excited to have you here. We're going to talk about Russell Westbrook and the Clippers. We're going to talk about Kevin Durant's debut with the Phoenix Suns. Then we're going to move and talk about two rebuilding teams. We're going to talk about Charlotte. Just because, you know, I've watched a little bit of Charlotte recently because of the Mark Williams explosion and because of this Kevin Durant debut and wanted to talk a little bit about them. Finally, we're going to close with the team James covers in depth, the Detroit Pistons. I enjoy talking about these bad teams, James. I don't know about you. Like, I, I kind of enjoy talking about it. I mean, that's that's all I know. So, I mean, that's <laughs> it's ingrained to me. It's uh, a good question. Have you covered a good team yet? The best team I covered was forty-one and forty-one, and got swept yes. in the playoffs. It was the the final the final great Blake year was the best team I've covered. Oh my god, we gotta yeah. we gotta get you like we gotta get you Vic man. We gotta get a K <laughs> K Jaden Vic combo. That's it. That's what we need to get James here. I think there are I think there are a lot of people uh, in Detroit who are praying for that as well. <laughs> okay let's start with russell westbrook and the clippers uh, man I, I think we set like at least three topics that are going to be like bummers to talk about today <laughs> uh the kd stuff's going to be great but like man the russ clippers thing i was someone that i thought that they would bring him along slowly i thought they would bring him along off the bench and that this the idea here was not just to throw him into the deep end of the starting lineup and seeing what works. Because of that, I was like, I think this can work. I think this can be, you know, a, a good change of pace guy who can bring them some up-tempo play off the bench, kind of the vision they had for John Wall. He can, you know, make them play a little bit faster. He can get paint touches, and this is a team that desperately needs paint touches. After four games, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> Just, but part of its usage, like they're using him, you know, 107 of the 120 minutes he has played so far have come with Kawhi. 98 minutes of the 120 minutes he has played so far uh, have come with both Paul George and Kawhi. And my, uh, my theory on this was this is a good change of pace player. And I think that if you limit Russ a little bit more, he can still be a useful player. The, Cl the Lakers... You know, for whatever didn't work because Russell Westbrook was on an enormous salary cap number, he wasn't a abject like disaster off the bench. He was just inefficient, 
and turned it over a little bit too much. I would think that in a contending situation off the bench, it could have been a little bit better, but I'm just like, these first four games have been rough. And then it culminated last night in this Warriors game where they were winning, I think with like eight minutes left in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. And then it just totally turned. And the optics on this were not ideal, let's say, because the entire game, the Warriors basically just played Draymond Green on Russell Westbrook and Draymond didn't guard him. Draymond straight up, he would be, Russell Westbrook would be outside the three-point line. Draymond Green would be in the paint, 15 feet away from him, daring him to shoot. Probably and, should have got a couple three-second calls if we're being honest, but yes, that's, that is how they defend it. Like the one, the one clip that everybody was sharing, like Draymond 100% should have been called for three seconds. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, you know what? If you That's don't get you called for it, yeah, it if you don't get called for it. You don't get called for it. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, right? So i I thought it was fascinating, and I loved Draymond Green's explanation after the game. I thought it was one of the most interesting answers I've seen any player basically give this season for a number of reasons. Because, you know, first and foremost, like he explained how not playing defense the way you're taught to play defense, because obviously not guarding someone is not the way you're taught to play defense. Right. It can be hard just in terms of your reaction and your instincts. Like there was a clip that I shared online where like, you know, Jeremy Lamb just like straight switched. He auto switched onto Russ in what was essentially almost like a Spain pick and roll. Mm -hmm. And because he did the auto switch and nobody was communicating, uh, uh, Mason Plumlee got behind Draymond and just like threw up a dunk and Draymond just looked at Anthony Lamb and was just like, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. Uh, this is not the scheme. But the other thing that he brought up in this postgame interview, and I'm just going to read the quote and I shared the video last night as well. He said, everyone always judges Russ's jump shot. What that does to you mentally is tough. It was more so mental than his shot. He's been shooting the ball well. I think he's been shooting the three at like 33, 34%. Mentally, it can be tough. I thought we did a good job sticking with the game plan and we were able to muddy the game up for them on the defensive side and it worked. And then he kind of got asked to expound upon that because the reporter was like, wait, you're saying that you know it can be hard for Russ when he's wide open? And Draymond then went into it and said, it makes you think for sure because you're open every play. You're taught in basketball that when you're open, you take the shot. But if you're open every play, you kind of start questioning yourself. Yes. I thought we did a good job executing. And isn't that just the most interesting thing, especially coming from him? Yeah. Because Draymond Green has gone through this. Mm-hmm. Like he has gone through multiple playoff series where he was not guarded. And admitted exactly line. that too. The mental yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Like, I think it's just so, so interesting when someone like him who is so, so smart, and I think he's genuinely like one of the smartest basketball players has ever played basketball point blank. Mm-hmm. For him to just like go into depth on that, I, I think is so, so interesting. What were your thoughts when you watched everything that happened last night with the Clippers? And what are your thoughts on the overall Russell Westbrook experience at this point? Yeah, last night in particular, um, playing off him that far, and, and I 100%, 110% agree with Draymond, it's not only a quote-unquote like disrespect tactic where that also gets in somebody's head, but like he said, it's 
you feel like you should shoot. You're an NBA player, so you have the confidence in yourself, but you're also in this new situation, and you have these two stallions next to you on the side, and you're trying to get them involved. There's been all the stuff with you shooting jumpers late in games for the last few years in L.A., um, and even before that. It, if you think about just even where Russ is, like if, if Russ had been there for a year or two, I think maybe we have a different conversation because I, I think he shoots some of those. But I think the fact that he had just gotten there, there's this narrative about him that he probably shouldn't be closing games, that he's just he, – you he's a liability in the half court at this point. Like, I think the timing of it makes sense. But certainly, I, I just am very curious to see how this Clippers offense – if he's going to play as much as he has going forward, which um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe – Ty Lue changes that after the Warriors game um, just because they it's and again it's not all his fault that they've lost four in a row or whatever yeah uh, but uh, that's something that's, that's certainly something that can be changed on a minor scale um, cosmetically to help clean that up but certainly I just don't see how that half court offense is what it can be um, and Kawhi has been phenomenal unless he's able to be ridiculous like he has been for the next two and a half months and PG is able to stay healthy. Like they need to be able to, again, it's basketball in the 22nd, almost 21st century. I said 22nd where like there needs to be spacing and Russ just does not make sense in those type of lineups with those type of stakes right now. Um, Russ is at this point in his career is a guy that you put in the dog minutes of games where it's the start of the second quarter, start of the third quarter or end of the third quarter to get you to keep you afloat to to provide energy like when the game gets tight and it's 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 nitty gritty NBA basketball I just don't see where Russ provides provides much help right now for a a team of that stature um, his inability to shoot um, just his like you said his turnovers like I just I, I just think the risk isn't worth the reward. Um, to try to infiltrate, have him infiltrate these these closing lineups when basketball is is at its most uh, its most tense, I guess. If that makes well, sense. It, no, it does. So l- l- let me give kind of two thoughts on that. So th- the first thing here is is my alarm goes off because I set my alarm just in case. Uh, what time is it right now where long. you're at? Eight thirty in the morning. We're all good here. Okay. It's not okay. that early. Um, so. The first thing that I do want to at least talk about is just Russ's overall activity levels on offense. He is a guy that tends to stand still. When he doesn't have the ball, he just kind of stands on the perimeter. I actually think that the best thing for him would be to watch Draymond Green tape now. Go and figure out how Draymond Green makes the spacing work when his teammates, you know, have the ball and he gets a kick out and the team doesn't come out and guard him. There are two things he does really, really well. First and foremost, Draymond Green will find cutting angles. You know, there was a clip I pulled last night on Twitter where Russell Westbrook had a perfect angle into a 45 cut where he could have gotten a pass from Norman Powell right at the elbow, essentially, taken a dribble, probably forced either same side help from Anthony Lamb or forced Draymond Green or forced one of the rim protectors to come over and help. And frankly, as Draymond Green says, like, you know, 
those reads when you're in a defense where you're not guarding someone, they aren't natural necessarily yeah. for players. So you're not going to make the natural right decision every time when mm-hmm. you are doing something that is so different from what your typical strategy is. So, you know, he has to be willing to cut. He has to be willing to hit that 45 cut, hit that baseline cut, move more often, just make it harder for the offense. Second, if he gets the ball and sees that nobody's coming out on him, the thing that Draymond Green always did so, so well is he would run toward a teammate and essentially start a dribble handoff exchange, Yep. Yep. right? And just force action. He would force communication issues with teammates or with opposing players. Maybe it's a dribble handoff into a short roll for Russell Westbrook. He needs to become on offense more of a Draymond Green style player, in my opinion, in the half court. I think that's how you can make this work. But that's something that is so different from what Russell Westbrook has done in the past. Yes. And that's what makes this so challenging And also why I think that throwing him just straight up into the deep end and also not having him do these things and like plan to do these things is why this has been such a mess so far. So I I just want to bring up. So before these Uh four games that they've lost, the Clippers had won 10 of 14 games. Nine of those games had been on the road. They were clearly rolling quite a bit. And it is... the numbers are terrible. Like I'm just trying, I'm trying to find a way to sugar, sugar. No, they are. Numbers are are really bad in the 120 minutes that Russell Westbrook has played. The Clippers have a negative 8.6 net rating. Uh, The bigger issue though, is that it gets worse and worse. The more good players you add Uh, in the Russ Kawhi minutes, they are a negative 10.4. In the 98 minutes where Russ, Kawhi, and Paul George have played together, they are a negative 14.9 this season. These numbers come via uh, Daryl Blackport's great site, play-by-play stats. Uh, with Kawhi this season, the numbers on and off court are absolutely like astounding. They are yeah. phenomenal. He's ridiculous. And if you look at the Kawhi-Paul George numbers, just alone, basically, they are a plus seven Uh per 100 possessions this season. If you take Russell Westbrook off the court uh, with Kawhi and Paul George, they are a plus 10.4. So in these four games that Russell Westbrook has played with the Clippers, uh-huh. it has forced the Kawhi and Paul George like net rating number essentially to drop by three points per 100 possessions over the course of the full season. That's like insane yeah. given how many games we've played already. So right. Far. Yeah. Like, and they've, yeah, they've only played four. (laughs) It's just absolutely crazy. So I am very worried about this is what I would say. And I think that they need to get some practice time. And I think they need to like implement and get Russ's. It's hard because like so much of this requires like rewiring who Russell Westbrook is as a player. Right. And I tend to think that great players are capable of that in some way. Like Carmelo Anthony became a spot shooter over Mm -hmm. the latter portion of his career. It's just that the body wouldn't hold up defensively anymore, right? Mm -hmm. 
Russell Westbrook has the tools to still be an impactful player. He's not what he was athletically when he was 25 years old. No, but he's still athletic. Yeah. But like, he's still athletic. Like there was a play last night where Jordan Poole like had to try and cut off his angle once Russ was downhill. And it was just like, there's no chance. Like he Mm -hmm. absolutely can't do this. So I say all of this, if only to say, I think that they just like, this is early days in this. And I don't want to completely rule out that this could get fixed, but it won't get fixed if they continue to operate in this manner, I think is where I'm at. No, I agree. Um, a couple things. I think like what you were saying with the stuff that Draymond does when people leave him open, like you said, works into a DHO dribble sideways to set up for somebody to back cut on the baseline, just things like that. And I hate to, I'm not comparing to comparing Hamadou Diallo at all to Russell Westbrook, but one thing that Hamadou Diallo does well I've always wondered why guys who aren't as athletic don't do it often. Eat up the space the defenders give you. Like, yes. just yep. charge them. They're not. If you're charging full speed nine times out of ten, they're not going to take a charge. They're going to just jump. And you, that, Russ is still athletic to finish mm-hmm. over to get fouled. Hamadou does a great job of just like, okay, you're going to disrespect my three. I'm going to drive into you. And that still eats up space and still causes attention from the defense, and you're able to maybe ju- do a dump off pass or something like that. Like, there's it's anything is better than standing. Um, and, and I agree with you. And that goes to my second point is I just think, and maybe a name comes to mind for you, um, but I can't think of one, especially like in recent basketball history, guys who have had the ball in their hands their whole lives. Um, yeah. I just, who is there one that's kind of like adapted to that? Like you think, like I just, ne- James Harden will never do that. Luca will never do that. Uh, John Wall never like you know what I mean like there was never like I think that's when those guys kind of start to lose it because yeah. they know nothing else and it's years and years of you like you said of trained instincts this is how I play and it's I think the rewiring it's too late in the process I think I just don't think that stuff comes into their minds in the middle of battle yeah like I mean like is Chris Paul an example like Chris Paul went from being, you know, like in New Orleans, he was like a domineering point guard, Yeah, right? And he went from being that guy to playing a little bit more off the ball with James Harden, now plays a little bit more off the ball with Devin Booker and, you know, obviously Kevin Durant there now. But it's different because like Chris Paul is like maybe another one of those guys that as a case is being like one of the smartest basketball players that's ever lived. Right, right, right. So like uh, Russ is, uh, I think that, you know, every great hall of fame basketball player is a genius in their own right. But in terms of off ball movement and floor spacing and things, Russ is not that necessarily. Uh, It's, it's tricky. I think it's very, very tricky. The thing I will also just say, I don't think all this is Russ's fault. I, I do not like last night, the worst stretch that occurred for the Clippers in that game was the final two minutes of the third quarter. And that was like mostly Terrence Mann's fault. And I love Terrence Mann. I I do not mean this as like slander Terrence Mann. I am an enormous fan of his, but like over that, there was like a one minute stretch essentially where he was responsible for like nine points off of Jordan pool threes. It was, you know, Jordan Mm -hmm. pool ends up getting, he, he fouls Jordan pool on a three pointer, uh, he has a miscommunication with Norman Powell uh, in a switch or a potential switch that they didn't switch. Um, 
that leads to a pool three in transition. Then he like crashes the offensive glass from 50 feet away and it leads to a two on three run out. And then when pool misses that three, he doesn't get a body on Jonathan Kaminga who gets the loose ball. And it just leads to another kick out for a Jordan pool three. Like, you know, again, like I love Terrence Mann, and I think Terrence Mann will be a much better option in general for ball movement uh, within this starting lineup. Yeah. But, you know, this is to say that this team has other issues beyond Russ, and he is not alone at fault in these four games. It's just that this is such a fundamental shift in what they've been doing that it requires a lot more work in order to fix it, I think. And and with that, and this is my last thing on it, I just I still just don't understand for the role that Russ has had so far, I just don't understand why they even wanted him so bad. Like I still think like like Reggie Jackson was. I mean, I, I, I think I think the answer to that is like pretty it's you know, Paul George is his guy. Yeah, right. But like at a I mean, point, it's just like Reggie Jackson is better tailored for that. Like that role. Like if you're gonna play Russ that many minutes and you're going to play him that often with Kawhi and PG, like you got to have, I just think like, I don't know. I don't, and I, I guess I don't know if they didn't want to pay Luke Kennard anymore, but like, even if you did like point Luke or like had Paul George bring the, like, I just think there was ways t- to take that step that they needed to take. And I, I don't know if they outsmarted themselves. Try, I don't know. I just didn't understand the point of, of bring, I know they needed a point guard, but I just don't, I just don't know how much you can do with a point guard that can't and won't shoot. I, I just yeah. don't know what that does. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree, especially one where the book is so out on Russ at this point in mm-hmm. terms of just like in a playoff series, you don't guard him, yeah. right? That's that's it. And I don't know, man. I think it's going to be pretty tricky. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to talk about Kevin Durant's debut with the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> All right, we are back. Uh, Kevin Durant is going to play tonight against the Chicago Bulls, but we have gotten one game of Kevin Durant in a Phoenix Suns uniform, and that was experience, man. I mean, I know that they played Charlotte, and I know that like even the numbers in this game, uh, given that Charlotte has maybe the worst defense on planet Earth, they weren't exactly like earth shattering. Like they had a 105.7 offensive rating in a game, like in Kevin Durant's minutes in a game yeah. where they were playing Sun or the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Man, I was watching that game. I was just like, this team's going to be impossible to stop. It's <laughs> like, going to be like in a game Kevin, where they did well offensively. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, and, and and like to me. Kevin Durant, I'm so I'm, I'm happy he's back. I'm excited to watch it, but for me, it's like the opportunities that are going to come for Devin Booker. You can't, you just can't defend him with the same set of eyes as before, because Kevin Durant is there. He's too good of a scorer for one on one. Like that is going to be dangerous, and it comes at a perfect time for Booker, where Chris is starting to lose a little bit. Obviously, Bridges had to go, even though he's made progress as a just a general not even just catch and shoot guy, but off the dribble, like the, the strides he made this year were great, but it's not the same. Um, 
obviously. So Devin's never played with a guy like this. Devin's going to continue to get the looks. He's going to get even more looks. And he's just an efficient scorer that's going to get buckets. And there's just nothing anybody's going to be able to do, I think, to stop them. Like, I think everybody's best chance is, and I'd hate to say this, knock on wood, is like somebody gets injured. I just don't yeah. see how you're going to be able to stop the Suns from scoring the basketball almost every possession. And I think that's the real risk here at the very least is injury. Just given, you know, this is the youngest team in the world and Kevin Durant and Chris Paul have both missed time in yep. recent seasons. So I don't think that's an unfair thing for you to say, but Kevin Durant goes for 23 points and six rebounds in this game. Uh, when he was on the court, they were like a plus 28 per hundred possessions. He was plus 13 in this game. Uh, I mean, Devin Booker goes for 37 because, you know, he's now being guarded by the second easiest guy on the uh, opposing team. Yep. And then on top of it, you know, the thing that DeAndre Ayton did really well is he just rim ran all mm-hmm. game, right? He he was the dominant force on the interior that people would like to see from him. He, I think he had like 17 and 16 or something, right? Yep. Like just an awesome, awesome game from DeAndre Ayton, I thought, that kind of accentuated how much easier things are going to be for everybody that is currently on that roster because of Kevin Durant's, you know, presence on yes. that team. It recalibrates it just, the pegging order, which sometimes totally. teams get in trouble for. Like DeAndre, for most of the season, has had to do too much, but it's also not his fault because they weren't the best basketball team and they needed maybe him to do a little much to have a chance. So I, I agree. Like the pecking order is restored um, in almost the best way possible. Right. And, and, you know, we just talked about a situation where the pecking order has been altered in the Los, Los Angeles with the Clippers, right? Yep. The thing with Kevin Durant, and this is why I was just such an enormous proponent of this deal, is he actually does not realign your pecking order in a dangerous way. No. He just realigns it in a ruthlessly efficient way yes. uh, because of how few touches he actually needs. Like he was outside of the top 50 in the league in touches this yep. season when he got traded to Phoenix, which is just insane. It's Kevin Durant, but that's just who he is as a player. He doesn't need the ball to gather that much attention from the defense, or at least not the ball doesn't need the ball as much as many players across the league do. Right. So the other thing that just immediately stood out to me with this game was it's just bailout options galore. Like <laughs> yeah. if, okay, let's say that the team that is playing Phoenix stops the opposing team for, you know, 20 seconds, 18 mm-hmm. seconds on the shot clock. Okay. We're just going to throw the ball in the mid post to Kevin Durant and he's going to get what is probably a 50% look yep. uh, because he makes mid range jumpers at the same level that everyone else makes layups yep. in the half court. Right. Like, Oh, Kevin Durant is being doubled or something. We're going to throw the ball on the second side to Devin Booker who has a slightly easier option to create a shot now. Uh-huh. It's just kind of crazy how many options they have at the end of shot clocks now where you can play defense on them at an exceptionally high level for 18, 20 seconds. And there are going to be a lot of possessions where it just straight up does not matter. Nope. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. They play a better defense 
tonight in Chicago. This is a defense that doesn't necessarily have any stoppers, but they do the little things really well. They rebound, you know, uh, they win the turnover battle. They they just kind of do a lot of different yeah. things that help them end possessions. Yep. This will be a little bit better of a test for the Suns. They are, the Bulls are obviously playing drastically better than the Charlotte Hornets as well. Uh-huh. I'm really interested to see this game, but I think that everything from the first game at the very least was a really strong indicator of how the Kevin Durant lineups are going to look for the Phoenix Suns. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I don't think this is a situation. It's like, oh, you you got to factor in the opponent. Like, I I guess maybe to an extent, but their sights are set on playoff basketball. And like you said, nothing is more important come postseason basketball than what you pinpointed. Defense stops well for 20 seconds. You have guys who make shots. That's what separates yep. the Boston Celtics. That's what separated the Boston Celtics on that run. That's what separated the Warriors for a long time. At the end of the day, we all like to talk about schemes and 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 coverages and all these things. When it comes to meaningful basketball, do you have two to three guys who can get you a bucket at any time in any situation? And there are very few teams in this league who do. And it is a situation where that is that's the focus. It's not it, it, it's it's the it's the possibilities of what can happen when basketball is tight, that makes the sun so dangerous. It's, it's not necessarily how it looks for the first 40 minutes or whatever. Cause it's going to, it's going to look fine just because those, all those guys are smart basketball players, but they're not going to be perfect. It's when the game is tight, nobody maybe has a better, like you said, bailout plan or bailout options, assuming health sticks than the, than the Phoenix suns, because Kevin Durant's 50% plus, from everywhere on the floor except three where he's a phenomenal three-point shooter. He's a phenomenal isolation player. He's a great passer. Devin, again, very good mid-range shooter, I believe. I haven't seen the numbers, but I just watching him, I would assume so. Obviously, great three-point yeah. shooter. Um, Chris Paul setting the table. Like, it's it, – I just – I'm fascinated. I can't I, – I hope they are in a bunch of tight games in the playoffs because I think it's going to be some of the best – I think it has potential to be some of the best offense we've seen in some times, like Sands, Golden State Warriors. But just shot making, the the art of shot making, like I think this could be this could really be it. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. Like I think that I don't think they will post offensive numbers as high end as the Warriors did nope. in those runs, just because of the three point shooting and the spacing of the floor and everything. I don't think they quite have that, No, but I think that in the playoffs, particularly like their half court offense is going to be really, really hard to stop. Yes. Like it's, they're going to post really, really, really high half court offense numbers. I would venture when the games matter most, as opposed to like, you know, the warriors breaking offensive rating metrics for their time when they had Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry and everything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting. The last thing I will note is the Suns. the big concern with this trade for Kevin Durant was depth. And I will note at the very least in this game, those concerns were semi well-founded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Suns lost their minutes when Kevin Durant was off the court. 
Uh, they lost those minutes by 2.4 points per 100 possessions, largely, uh, you know, because the defense just was not awesome right. in those minutes. And it was a situation where you have Josh Kogi entering the starting lineup, really, really good defender. Uh, you move Tory Craig to the bench, also a pretty good defender. But who you have coming off the bench, campaign, TJ Warren, Jock Lawndale, Damian Lee, like these guys are vets in many cases and they know where to be, but they aren't necessarily defensive difference makers. So the fact that the depth, even against a team like Charlotte was a bit of a concern is a, it's a note. It's not a thing to overreact to by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a note to take. I agree. Uh, moving forward here. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think like I don't I, I, I that's why I say I don't think they're going to blow teams out for what you just yeah. said. Like the depth is definitely kind of depleted a little bit. The defense is obviously not going to be as good because Mikel was that good. Uh, Cam had moments like certainly it's not going to be that, but I don't think it's ever it's often going to get to a point where they can't work themselves back into a game if they're down double digits like obviously not like it's the nba everybody can come back from double digits but i i I just don't think that it's almost a shift right like before i think one thing we all liked about the suns is defensively even if shots weren't falling they stayed in games because they locked up now it's okay they lose a little bit defensively but the offense is on a whole nother level so i i I agree with you like i i do think that it's not going to necessarily be warriors off the charts margins of victory and, and and metrics and things like that but certainly yep uh they'll be they'll be alive in the majority of games because it's i just don't know how you stop what they have uh especially this time of the season when when things tighten up yep okay let's go to the other side of that matchup and talk about the rebuild we're gonna move to the rebuilding section of the podcast here <laughs> uh let, let's go well, I to live. the Yeah, it's where James lives. He knows this uh, all too well. Let's go to the Charlotte Hornets. And I think the thing that's the biggest bummer for me about the Hornets is it just feels like this team never will be healthy, at least with this core, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Gordon Hayward just continues to miss time here and there, right? Like he's played 38 games this season. You know, LaMelo Ball has played 36 games, and that's going to be – what he ends up with this season following his injury. It just feels like this group, uh, they're never going to get a clean runway, which is a bummer. Like Cody Martin has missed a crazy amount of time with this knee injury. Like Mm -hmm. even PJ Washington is probably not going to play tonight. uh, You know, because I think it's like an ankle or a foot injury or something like that. It's it's lower body. Yeah. And you know, it's just a bummer. And This Hornets team, they have real decisions to make coming up here. Unfortunately, (laughs) just, you know, like LaMelo Ball, he's going to get extended. I I can't imagine he's not going to get the max, right? Like he's made an all-star game already. It's a 25% max. You probably have to pay that guy the max, right? Um. I mean, how would you feel about paying him the max? Is, is a <laughs> you have to do it. I'm not saying yeah, that like, yeah, you're yeah. not going to do it. You utter you utterly have to do it. Yeah. How would you feel about paying him the max? Um, I'm putting myself in in Michael Jordan's shoes 
Um, you you have to do it. I don't. How do I say this? I very much enjoy watching Lamelo. Yeah, I am not convinced that somebody who is that bad defensively is going to be somebody you can build around unless I see, I guess my thing is I just, I just don't know if he's, I don't think he's a player you can win with long-term. Like I, I like his game. He's fun to watch. I It's almost, I put him in like the Trey young category. I don't know. Like I just have like a feeling like, as long as that guy is your best player and you don't like build the greatest defense of all time around them, I just don't see the avenue. I just don't see the avenue to out of mediocrity. And, um, and again, it's not LaMelo has done the things you want him to see. You want to see, he, he still turns the ball over way too much. His shooting has improved. Um, obviously a great passer, but like he's him and like the backcourt's too small. And of course, Rozier is not part of their long-term plans, but this was a team that came into the year expecting to win. Like you don't, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are like uh, talk about when they talk about rebuilds and I'll reference the Pistons. Cause that's the team I cover, but obviously Pistons fans are upset of how the season went. It's like, well, the Pistons season kind of was supposed to go like this, especially when Cade went out. Yeah. Charlotte came into the year with a starting lineup, primarily of veterans. Uh, I think, uh, what PJ? This is PJ's fifth year, fourth year, fourth year, and they won forty three games last year, and they won forty three. And of course, they couldn't account for the Miles Bridges situation. Like I think we should mention that that does hurt them. I don't know how much drastically it it changes things. Do they win thirty more games, twenty five more games if Miles is on this team? No, they had a lot of injuries, and Miles was playing really well last year. Um, yeah. but this is just a team that is poorly constructed. It's not going to get any better unless they get lotto luck. Um, and even then, like, you're still going to have to scrap this down. Like, they, they have to rebuild again. And I think that's the issue is when you have a player like – it's kind of like the Luka situation where Dallas's runway accelerated because Luka was so good fast. Um. Now you have LaMelo where he's in a situation where he was really good last year. The team was taking off, but you weren't able to build on that. And now I think we all only see an avenue where you have to strip it down and then build it back up. And yeah. I just don't know how they do that. I don't think they have – like I don't – LaMelo's their best asset aside from this pick, assuming, again, that they have a chance of getting a top two, top three pick. Like I, I just don't know how they – they've failed on draft picks. I like Mark Williams. Like – Mark Williams aside and LaMelo aside, but like James Buchnight hasn't been anything. Um, I'm missing a couple other guys off the top of my head. It just hasn't worked. And I'm just not sure how you don't start from ground zero again. So you start with ground from ground zero, trying to revamp the roster on with LaMelo on a max extension. I, it's just like they're a few more years away when they should have been like last year should have been the start of something special, I guess is what I'm the long, the roundabout way of, trying to say it so i think that you're right and on on most like on the long-term team building side i think you're right i think you can win with Lamelo. i think it just takes real he takes things off of the table and brings things to the table 
and you have to accentuate both of those things, right. which artificially limits the pool of talent that you can put around him in some ways. That's a right? better way of saying what I was trying to say. Yes, I agree. You have to find great two-way players to put next. Like it can't just be, you know, okay, Terry Rozier for his like his Terry Rozier works hard on yeah. defense, right? He is just small and it's hard for Terry. He's skinny. He's a magnet and switches. Like it's a little bit difficult for Terry on the defensive end. Uh, you can't you can't put someone in the backcourt next to Lamelo, who is, in my opinion, that small. Frankly, I, I think that mm-hmm. that is that is going to lead to difficulties. Uh, Gordon Hayward at this point is 32 years old. Uh, he turns 33 here later this month. I, I don't think that you can really trust him moving forward. And this is where this is where their team building situation gets hard, right? Because yeah. let's say that you do give Lamelo this max contract extension, which I'm not against. Like I think he's proven enough to be worth a 25% max to be sure. Yep. Um, I, I will say this: like if I was Charlotte. I would probably try to fight against putting in 30% max language in that contract, where if he makes the all NBA team next year, he would be eligible for that. But I do, I I do think he is proven enough to be worth a 25% max at this point. Uh, They have Terry Rozier on that extension, which has three more years after this one at basically $25 million pop. They have PJ Washington, who's a restricted free agent this year. I, I don't know, ballpark fifteen million a year, sure, or something like that. Out, yeah, right, yeah. I like, I, I like PJ. I think he's a really good player. Uh, you know, this year he has been asked to do probably a little bit more than what his talent level, you know, is. The the teams I talk to really, really like him long term mm-hmm. as the kind of player who can be like either an impact sixth man off the bench for a playoff team or like a fifth starter who can knock down shots and provide defensive versatility at the four or be like a, you know, pseudo small ball five as we saw them utilize a bit last year. Like I think that that is what is, I like PJ more on a contending team, but if you're going down this, if you're going down this rebuild is PJ Washington, like a valuable player if you're going to rebuild for two of the four years on his extension. And I'm sure that they don't want to rebuild. And so much of this depends on the lottery this year. Like if they end up with Wembenyama, you kind of, you want PJ Washington in that case. He's like a perfect player to play with Victor Wembenyama at the four. Right. Right. So, you know, if they get that 14% luck box chance, it's enormous for them. Right. And it probably changes their calculus in such a substantial way where everything we talk about here will be moot. But there's an 86 percent chance that they don't end up with Victor Wembanyama. And, you know, (laughs) if you end up with Scoot Henderson, I think that's great. Like I just said, I don't want a small guard necessarily next to LaMelo, but I think Scoot is just such a different ball game that you have to take Scoot at the end of the day if you end up at number two. And frankly, I think he's a Mm -hmm. better prospect than LaMelo. So I would just take Scoot and rock. Um, that, that's not yeah. a slight at LaMelo, who I think is going to make a bunch of all-star games. I just think Scoot Henderson is like an all-NBA point guard in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like the exact kind of fucking competitor and like gets after it and is tough. And, and like the mentality is there. That's the kind of guy that I really would want to build around if I was a team. Right. Um, Help shift the culture, yeah. 
in a in a big big way. So yeah. all all of that is real. Then you have this summer, you still have the Gordon Hayward deal, which is 31 and a half million for next season. Uh, that's on your books. I think it's going to be hard for them unless a team is willing to take on Gordon Hayward in like a, in a like for like swap in some regard uh-huh. where they just want the expiring Gordon Hayward money for maybe a longer term deal. Yeah. I think it's going to be hard for the Hornets to rebuild on the fly, essentially. Uh, I think I this is a real, I think this is a real difficult rebuild for them. The good news is that this is a good draft and they are going to have a shot, you know, something like a 56% shot to end up in the top four where mm-hmm. you can get. You know, Amon Thompson's a really interesting fit there with Lamelo, both six foot seven. Amon is a much better defender, and he could yeah. defend at the point of attack and take. You know, let Lamelo be like an off-ball roamer. I think mm-hmm. that more than anything with Lamelo, you need to have a plan of attack defensively. And I think that like, I think Steve Clifford is like a great defensive coach. It's just that he's kind of old school, and like it's it's a little yeah. bit hard to yeah. come up with like weird you have to come up with weird strategies like Lamelo's best role I think long term defensively is the role that the Timberwolves used with D'Angelo Russell where he's like a backline roamer and right. is like calling out coverages hopefully and like can do stuff like that and then just being like a total force that drives offense and drives playmaking and you know transition play and everything like that on offense but again like if you get Amon Thompson and you pair him with Lamelo you probably have the best transition offense in the league because both those guys are real rebounders. They push the pace, they drive offensive play and transition. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that totally works. Brandon Miller would be great for them. Right. You know, assuming I, I talked about the Brandon Miller thing on a previous yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I really want to get into it yet because there still seems to be so much that's going to play out there. But right. in terms of fit, that's a really good one. Obviously, Mm -hmm. Vic and Scooter really good fits, but if you end up outside of the top four again, it gets dicey real fast for them. And I mean, this is a this is a hard situation to pivot out of if you don't, you know, get the lottery luck this year. And on top of it, next year, I mean, I don't think there's anybody (laughs) as good as Brandon Miller in next year's draft. Yeah, just doing my yeah. I mean, obviously, I I lean toward you on that, but even in my research as of late like it doesn't it seems like this is the year to get lucky and to be fair if you're into conspiracies which i'm not but i mean the nba giving the hornets vic i mean let's be honest it'd be fun but i think i think the spurs get the number one pick that's my hunch. You're, you're all about you're all about the conspiracies i love it let's go it's um, just like i just like why is pop still doing this if if there wasn't a wink, wink. Like I don't know why Pop <laughs> sat through this season. Like what is he? What is he still doing this? I don't understand it. I don't get why he's still doing this. And I, I get uh, obviously. I think he lost his wife not too long ago. So maybe this is just his way of staying in basketball, staying busy. So maybe that is why. Obviously, I don't think there's a conspiracy theory. Uh, but certainly, um, yeah, I think Charlotte needs luck. But even with that luck, they're going to have to rebuild either way. Like they're either. they're either going to get Victor or Scoo and love it. That's going to be great, but they're still young players that are probably going to make mistakes and you're going to have to figure things out. And like, it's not going to be like, this isn't going to go from like a worst to first situation. Like I don't, 
I don't I still wouldn't see Charlotte if they added Victor as a like sure in playoff team next year. Um like well, I, I don't think they would be a playoff team with yeah, next year. Exactly. I mean, look, like Vic Vic just completely turned around Metropolitan's ninety two in France to where like they became, you know, <laughs> from like a bottom third team in the league to, you know, a legit real playoff team, but like I, I don't see beast. it. Like yeah. Yeah, I think that as good as Vic is, it's going to take some time. Yeah, I mean, the Miles Bridges thing also was bad, right? And if I was them, I would not sign Miles Bridges. I I think that it seems like Miles Bridges is trying to get Miles Bridges back to Charlotte, but (laughs) there's, you know, everything from the front office, they literally contacted the Charlotte Observer at one point to say, we have not had these, you know, conversations about bringing Miles Bridges back into the fold. I personally would be against that. I yes. know, think that I you can't do what he was accused of doing and ultimately uh, pled to. Uh, it yes. wasn't quite a guilty plea, if I remember correctly. It was a uh, it was a different kind of plea. Yeah. I don't think you can plead to what he pled to and end up back in the NBA. Personally, is my view, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I would imagine somebody's going to sign him at some point because. You know, this is what happens with talented players in the NBA, unfortunately. I agree. I think Charlotte, though, should bite the bullet and not be the one to do it. I agree. I mean, we just talk about we talk about culture. We talk about, you know, how Amon Thompson, how Victor Wembanyama, how Scoot Henderson, these guys would change the culture. I I think that, you know, Miles Bridges would be a step back in that regard, given what he is uh, accused of and pled to. Uh, I I just... Yeah, it's a it's a hard tailspin uh, to break out of if you're Charlotte at this point. And this team won 43 games last year with James Borrego. That's the crazy thing. Like they have missed <laughs> yeah. on all these draft picks, and because you hit Lamelo, you know, I mean, you end up in a situation where you can win 43 games. Right. I still, I, I don't see the upside for this team as currently constructed right now Mm-mm. to get to the point where they are a genuine title contender. I think out of the four teams in that bottom group, so San Antonio, Charlotte, Detroit, Houston, I think I like their situation the least right now. Part of that too is like, I don't really trust Mitch Kupchak. I don't really trust Michael yeah. as an owner. Like, you know, all due respect to those guys and what they've accomplished previously within basketball. I haven't I, really seen much yeah, from them. I agree with that take. I, I almost want to say Houston – but like I, I like Houston's individual talent more. Yeah, I just think that place. I just uh, I hate to say that. I don't know how to how should I say this. I don't necessarily love the um, the makeup of that group, and that concerns me going forward. Like I, I think there needs yeah. to be. Indiv- Houston has a lot of young guys that are trying to make it in the NBA all at once, and I don't know that it leads to the best team-based results. Yes. And I, think, and I think, um, and again, it's because I cover the Pistons. I think the biggest difference between Pistons and the Rockets is I think the personalities that make up the group in Detroit are, I think, I think they're, even though they're young, I think they're a little bit more mature. I think, I think Houston yeah. lacks much. I think the lack of maturity for some of the key young pieces in Houston concerns me going forward. And again, they're kids that could change. Uh, but I would yeah. agree. I think Charlotte, just the individual pieces, I'm just not as high on it. At least Houston has three guys that I think like, Oh, if he's an all-star, like I'm not surprised by any means. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And maybe the last thing I want to talk about Charlotte real quick before we move on is I don't want to end the Charlotte thing on just like a total dour note, even though I think that they're in a difficult position moving mm-hmm. forward just to pivot out of essentially. Yes. Mark Williams has been awesome for yes, the last he month. He has been absolutely tremendous. He's been everything that they could have thought of and could have hoped. I'll be honest with you. I think that this month of Mark Williams has been better than anything I've seen from Jalen Duran this year. Uh, I think he has been absolutely outstanding as a lob threat. Mm-hmm. I think that his defensive tools have showcased themselves just a little bit better yeah. uh, than anything I've seen from Jalen Duran so far. Uh, I-, I think Mark Williams, this month at least, and Jalen Duran has done it for the full season. He's come past the rookie wall. He looks really good. You know, he has fought through the fact that there is actual tape on him now. Right. And opposing players know how to play against him. And that's a big, big, big thing for rookies. And I think it's a great credit to Jalen Duran that we'll talk about in this next section here. Yeah. But Mark Williams, I think, has been absolutely outstanding, I think. Yeah, and I haven't been able to obviously catch – the Pistons have played Charlotte like two or three times in this last month, so I have seen him a little bit. But outside of that, everything I've read and, and, and have seen, been able to see, like I agree with you, like the stuff you see, the defensive chops, like really get it for me. Um I think with Duran, just to go that comparison, I think that's where Duran's like, I think Duran has just like elite possibilities as a defender. He's just not there yet. And I think Mark has maybe shown that a little bit quicker, at least in this last month. Um, but I, yeah, I get what you're saying with, with that. Uh, it's certainly, he's certainly, it's a trade that worked out for both sides because what pick was the Hornets drafted Dern, traded him to Detroit, and then they used they had the twelfth and thirteenth pick. Was it back to back first? The, there was like a the Knicks were a conduit in for there. The, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the Knicks were yes, it was a three team deal. That's right. Yeah, it was like I, forget, I think it was like Charlotte had that pick. They traded it to the Knicks. The Knicks then moved it to Detroit. I think is what it for, was. Detroit to take on money. Durin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, right. And yeah, no, I I think it's across the board. I I think it was a great deal for everyone. I think everyone's probably happy with the guys that they have. Like there's no reason for Detroit to be disappointed in Jalen Duran by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Yeah. Mark Williams looks absolutely terrific, you know, in terms of, uh, again, we'll use play-by-play stats for uh, this metric, but in the 564 minutes that Mark Williams has played, the team has a 112.4 defensive rating versus a 116.1 defensive rating when he is off the court. And the big impact here is opponent two-point field goal percentage. Opponents are shooting 51.5% from two-point range when Mark Williams is on the court, versus (laughs) 56.5 when he is off the court. Again, this is a guy with just utterly elite, physical traits he is seven foot tall he has a seven foot seven wingspan he is a just genuinely like enormous human being uh you know on on top of it you know quick leaper too if i'm not mistaken like i feel like he gets off the ground quick he does it it feels like he gets off the ground fairly quickly I, i would agree with that for someone who isn't like you know the most vertically explosive guy in the world just in terms of like getting off the ground right uh 40 inches but i think he gets off the ground quickly i think good react i guess maybe reaction time is maybe i think his reaction time is maybe that's a better word than gets off the ground quickly in that regard but yeah i I just he has it 
mentally when it comes yeah. to like what you need defensively. Um, and it obviously he's, I mean, he's still so young. I think he's going to be a problem for a while. Yeah. And that's good for the Hornets. Yeah. I think he's a real, real difference maker for them defensively long-term. I think he is a long-term starting center in the NBA, which is what this team absolutely needs next to LaMelo ball, a real rim runner, a real defensive anchor, uh, yeah. a dive guy long-term. Uh, you know, he has some real Clint Capella E upside in my yes, opinion. That's a good comment. And, you know, we've seen how well Clint Capella has worked in terms of his pairing with Trey Young in Atlanta. And I think that, you know, Mark Williams is going to end up with a pretty similar impact. Let's go to the other side of that little mini comparison that I did there with the Detroit Pistons <laughs> now. I'll just give you the floor. State of the Detroit Pistons from James Edwards. You know this team better than I do. I would love uh, to hear where you're at. So it's so it's so hard to to kind of put it into words because at the end of the day, this is a it, it, what makes the Pistons unique is Cade was the stir was the straw that stir was going to stir the drink right but he was still figuring things out. So without him for basically, he's missed basically the whole season. He's played 12 games to go that long without him. It kind of just all like altered Detroit's plans in terms of this season and like what they wanted to do. Um, Obviously I think they had aspirations. I don't think they like expected it to happen, but I think they had aspirations of possibly flirting with the play in. Um, Cade being out, completely stripped that i think they went to experimenting more than they would have um it led them to taking chances on a guy like wiseman uh which i think i mean obviously i've I've reported it a bunch and i'm sure you know this they they very much liked wiseman in the 2020 draft uh i i just think at the end of the day it's just really hard to gauge like where this team is because Cade hasn't played and people in detroit are sour Part of that is because I think a lot of people have seen the names that they drafted over the last few years and casual fans have come back like, oh, we got all these first round picks and not really understanding how it works in the league that Giannis and Steph and all these guys and Devin Booker like were part of losing seasons for four or five years before their teams turned the corner. Like that's just kind of how it works in this league. Not to say that the Pistons will do that or that Cade is on that level of star quite yet, like, but it, it always usually takes time. Um so I think just not having Cade makes this team hard to evaluate going forward. But I think at the end of the day, what you've had to take from this season is the individual growth. And I think in most cases, like in for the large majority, that has been positive. I yep. think I am very Jalen Duran, what he's done this year has completely surprised me. I think that is, and I don't know if we'll talk about this, but obviously people have gotten off their their big man jokes once they traded for Wiseman. But I I would imagine that part of the reason they signed Bagley in the summer was because I don't think they thought Duran would be this ready right away. And so in hindsight, I mean, you, you can understand it in hindsight. And then you get Wiseman because they were high on Wiseman and they're in asset accumulation mode. They're trying to just get talented players. If you like the guy, you go get the guy. You figure everything else out down the line. But Duran, I think, has exceeded expectations. Jaden Ivey has gotten better each and every month and i am yep. how good he's gotten as a lead ball handler kudos to him like i think 
he if you if you ended the rookie of the year voting right now, I think he has a case for top two or three. I think he's been better than Ben for maybe a month and a half, two months now. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a conversation to be had. It, it's um, interesting. There's that big group from I'm doing rookie rankings for, you know, either late this coming week or early next week. Uh-huh. And there's a big group right now. I have Walker Kessler at two. I think he's just been like yes. ridiculously impactful on winning. That's fair. Uh, it's Ivy, Keegan Murray, Jalen Williams, and Ben Matherin, or the mm-hmm. group from three to six. One of those guys will be left out for first team all NBA, and I feel really bad about it. I don't know what to do yet. There, there. I, I'm really like dive deep into it. Yeah. Those are those are the four competing for three spots for first team all NBA. Yeah. My immediate while we're talking here, my immediate guess is that as of this moment, I would have Ivy at six. But by the end of the year, given the growth trajectory he's on right now, where he, like you said, for the it's really been the last six weeks where he's yeah. been. Absolutely outstanding, I think. Yes. I would bet you he ends up passing some of these guys mm-hmm. and ends up, you know, three or four. Or yeah, probably, I, you know, it depends on what you think of. It depends on what you think of, like, Keegan playing a more limited role on a winning team that is right. top three in the West right now, right? Yeah. Or, you know, what you think of Walker Kessler playing 25 minutes on a team that shouldn't be anywhere near the play-in, but is, like, miraculously there because Lowry Markinen is unbelievable and their defensive infrastructure yeah. – it's great. Like it's same with Jalen Williams. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's a really, really tricky thing, but I, I do want to talk about Jaden a little bit more in depth here momentarily, but you said something really interesting. I think on, on, I guess the Cade aspect of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that people have overreacted to Cade's first four games of the season and then yeah. ignored the last seven that he played. He was so good. Injury. Yeah. Like in the seven games before the game where he got hurt, Cade averaged 23 points, eight rebounds and seven assists and shot like 46% from the field while still only shooting 30% from three. Uh-huh. He got wherever the fuck he wanted on the court. He like, was argue. I think he was the second best mid range shooter in the league for that for that stretch. Like he, st- yeah. The, the reason he struggled at the beginning is because he was trying to finish over trees at the rim. And this is why I think Cade is just going to figure it out because he is a very smart player. He's like, okay, I can look in the mirror. I'm not the most athletic. I shouldn't try to finish over Mitchell Robinson every time. Let me pull up for this 12 footer, 13 footer, and it's cash. And I think once he did that, that changed. I agree. Like that. Sh- you can go look at the numbers, the first four games, and see how much he attacked the rim in comparison to those last seven games and how many more mid-range shots he took, and that'll tell the whole story, I think. I completely agree with you. And the other part of this is, again, he is still not shooting well from three. No. That is going to change. Cade yes. Cunningham can shoot. Yeah. Like, And that's all they're working go- on right now. He, like him and John Beeline is all – that's all they've been – it's all he's been able to do is shooting stuff. Yeah. So, like – Cade is going to shoot from three. He already can shoot from the mid-range. The ability to shoot from both of those spaces is actually going to open up the area at the rim for him. Mm -hmm. The way that he can completely control and dictate defenders 
keeping them on his hip, keeping that advantage that he gets out of ball screens at a really high level. He already has that. Like I have seen nothing that makes me concerned about Cade Cunningham beyond just like the finishing at the rim. Right. Like this dude's going to be a star. (laughs) I am like, I am on board with Cade Cunningham entirely. Yes. And I think that people way overreacted to those first four bad games that he played. Uh, guys play a bad stretch of four games pretty regularly in the NBA. Even yeah. the best players do. And he has a history of when he comes back from extended absence, whether that's the offseason, whether it was COVID, he usually struggles to, to get into basketball again. Like he eas- like, I wouldn't say he eases into it, but it's certainly like you can go look at his numbers when he returns from an absence. It's like it takes a couple games for him to like get into his sweet spots. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like everybody was so I think I would say like a team like Orlando has kind of like overtaken Detroit as like the shiny fun rebuild team. Like I I would say the Pistons was that last year. But I think like what people forget is like as much as as fun as OKC has been be it OKC has been, they have a top twenty player. And that changes shit. And the Pistons don't have that. And the guy who could be that has been out the whole year. That just, like, if you take Shea off as much time as OKC has had, like, we're looking at the same situation. I I believe that. But Mark Dagnall for Coach of the Year, by the way. Um, Terrific. Mike Mike Brown's going to win, but Mark Dagnall's been terrific. I'm I'm on Mark Dagnall. I want that. But I think that when Cade comes back, it's like he's put on like he looks bigger like he's put on weight like he looks different I think people are going to be surprised when they actually like see him for the first time like in a jersey and back out on the floor just like how different he looks um the the other thing with the thing with Cade that I just want to like bring up here like you brought up the comparison to Orlando I am still taking Cade Cunningham over Paula Bancaro long term yeah just straight up I got Paulo has been phenomenal this season. I, I mean, no disrespect w- when I say that. I, I think Paulo is going to be an absolutely great player. He's going to be an all-star. Give me Cade Cunningham's just processing ability, his ability to be like a primary ball handler, his ability to be – everyone's really excited about Paulo Bancaro's passing ability, rightfully mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I mean, Cade Cunningham is going to slice and dice teams for years yeah. as a passer. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. And- his, his, it's the, It's the processing. Like Cade yeah. Cunningham's a supercomputer uh, yes. as a processor of basketball. And as soon I, as the I, shooting comes around, it's going to be filthy. And I think, I don't know if it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't know if it's because of who was drafted right after him with Mobley and green and, and Scotty Barnes and people are excited about them. Plus you could, people are calling him injury prone because he twisted his ankle and training camp as a rookie. And then he finally was able to, deal with a shin injury that's been battling him for years. Like, I, I just don't, I wouldn't go that far. Like everybody sprains their ankle. Um, I just think with Detroit now, I, I don't want to sound like things have for a hundred percent. Things could have been, they could have been look, the processes this year could have been better. That's I'm not saying that, but I want to, when, when it comes to rebuilding, I, I think people need to be remembered that Detroit started from ground zero. There was no Paul George to trade like OKC had. That got you Shea in a bunch of picks. There was yep. no, there was no, there wasn't even a Nikola Vucevic that was able to help you get a Franz Wagner. And what else? They have a Wendell Carter Jr. and a, they have another pick this they year. They have one coming too. Yeah. You, <laughs> the Pistons' three best players when they decided to rebuild 
where Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond, those three got back Detroit, Brandon Knight, John Henson, and second-round picks. Like, I understand that Pistons fans have been – it's a historically great franchise. The history is there. I understand that, like, they're frustrated and want to win now. But I I don't – I just don't know how you can – they're finally building it the right way. And I think that's the big thing. And, but people, because of what happened previously before Troy got there, they want him to kind of speed it up, but I don't think that's fair. Um, like I understand, like they weren't rebuilding all these years. They were just bad. There's a big difference. Yeah. Um, and I think you look across the board, I would say if you liked Ivy going into the draft, you like him, you like what he's shown even more now. Yeah. And I, I sent this to you in our we'll, – we'll have a piece coming early next week where I talk to you, pick your brain about stuff. I think Jalen Duran was one of those guys in the draft that people either loved him or they are like, eh, on him. And you could make the case he was maybe, if you want to say, like, steal of the draft, you could make a case there. Isaiah, I, I think it's still – you either love him or you – Yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> he's very, he was very divisive through the whole process. Yeah. I think I, I'm higher on Jalen Duran than I was pre-draft for what it's worth. And I like Jalen pre-draft, but I, you know, he's shown enough now to where I'm like, okay, this is definitely a starting center. Long yeah. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to see what you say to that question. Isaiah Stewart showing some of the stuff he's done at the four. I understand that the efficiency across the board is not great, but this is somebody who was actually like doing things that he's never done before. He's shooting 33% on four threes a game. He's doing, showing stuff off the dribble um, his rebounding is still there despite playing against playing alongside another big. Uh, I still think he's one of their better, more versatile defenders. Yeah, let's talk about the front court. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do, do it. This. Because I think it's really interesting. And I think that if we're going to talk about it, we have to start with Duran. Yeah. Because Duran is the guy that has shown the most at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And while I know that they love James Wiseman pre draft in 2020, and I know that they love Jalen Duran last year. Yeah. Jalen Duran is, is multiple. I think he's two years younger and he's shown more at this point. Yes. He's they even have played very, more minutes. Yeah. He's played more minutes. <laughs> they have very similar flaws, weirdly, mm-hmm. uh, because they both are just really struggling positionally in ball screen coverages. Like I've seen some people like excited about what James Wiseman has shown so far, even defensively in Detroit and I just firmly yeah. disagree. Like, yeah, I, think, not I think a lot of his success has been that he's seven foot so far. Yeah. Yeah. And that he's, he's rim running and that he's right. getting out in transition and well, it's a good, yeah. Yeah. Like it's a good thing that James Wiseman is playing these minutes. Like I'm all for it. Like, yeah. I think that it is super valuable for him to get these minutes. And I am by no means, saying that this guy is going to be like a bust. I, I think he's probably going to stay in the NBA for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know at what level right yeah. now. I, I think that it's going to depend on one thing I talk about all the time. And this is something that someone brought up in the comments, just in terms of like, you know, uh, Jalen Duran versus Mark Williams, you know, Jalen Duran's two years younger and just has had less reps at this point mm-hmm. than Mark Williams with good coaching and with, you know, good, good, everything defensively. Mm-hmm. Right. With James Wiseman, James Wiseman is just straight up missed like three to four years of his basketball development in terms of reps. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've been talking to people about a lot recently is 
can you actually get those reps back as a young player? Like, does missing that time, missing that developmental, uh, you know, missing those minutes? Yeah, that's the Troy. You, Troy said that if we wanted to get him, because when you have that much talent, if you don't use it, you lose it, and we want to get yeah. him to use it again. I agree. Yeah, and like you know, you're, you're steps behind everybody else at that point, just in terms of your, like in James Wiseman's case, you can just literally see it in his ball screen coverages. He yep. does not know the angles at this point. He does not quite know like where his level is. He often gets caught in no man's land still, but he's seven foot one has a seven foot six wingspan is very athletic. And there are moments of absolutely spectacular uh, flashes yeah right yep can you make those more consistent you know something we talk about a lot on this show because of samson folk is mm. the great players in the nba everybody in the nba shows flashes yep every single player in the nba is good enough to play on the nba court and show flashes from time to time of genuine greatness because that's what being one of the 450 best people in the world at something is 100 percent it's that ability to do it night after night after night that makes you a great player. Yes. And we'll see. Like we'll, we'll see if James Wiseman can get that back, but if I'm them, I'm not prioritizing minutes with Jalen Duran and James Wiseman and uh, I'm not prioritizing James Wiseman over Jalen Duran cuz Jalen Duran has shown more. He's yeah. a better rebounder, uh, he's more physical. I think he's a better switch defender. I think he moves a little bit better, and I think there's just more upside there at the end of the day. And, and and I think that was just reading Twitter and, and things when that trade happened. I thought I personally thought that was kind of like the biggest misconception of the trade. Like I think a lot of people were like assuming that Wiseman was coming here to overtake JD. I I think when JD gets back healthy, it's either going to be Wiseman's coming off the bench and they're going to yeah. both play equal amount of minutes, or they're going to experiment and see what JD next to Wiseman looks like. Like I think. Isaiah Stewart, while it may, um, while it may kind of cap him as a long-term starter, I think most people would agree that like on if this thing gets good, like Isaiah's best role is probably like as a six man, just because he's limited yeah. in his size, but he brings value to the team, and he's I think he's only going to get better as he has it, as every year in the NBA. But like he's the guy that can float. He can play, assuming the shooting continues to improve as it has. He's the guy that can play next to all of them if if something needed. Like he's the Swiss Army knife in that situation. But I do think that like yeah. long term, they're hoping that there's a world where those Duran and Wiseman can play together because of Wiseman's ball skills. And I mean, yeah. they they they've used Cleveland as the template. Obviously, Wiseman's not Evan Mobley, and nobody's saying he is. Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. Like I, I think that yeah. that's what worries me. Actually, is like I don't see James Wiseman as having like real tangible ball skills okay. particularly okay. he's a great rim runner you can short roll him a little bit and yeah. like you, he can like put the ball in the deck in short rolls but like like evan mobley can you know catch the ball on the wing put it between his legs twice try and shake a guy and then right. like make a pass on the move right. right like james wiseman's never been able to do that stuff yeah, you know they, what i mean yeah. no i agree what i worry about with the pistons with that idea right even with isaiah stewart who I really like, and I tend to be with you that if I was the Pistons, I would pay Isaiah Stewart. I would want to keep him around. He's the guy of 
the Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, Isaiah mm-hmm. Stewart draft that I would want to keep yeah. because elite level character, elite level worker, um, has shown real growth and progress in his game. I, I, I'm a big fan of his, but I also am even worried about lineups with Isaiah Stewart and one of those two, mm-hmm. because I just worry about if there's enough playmaking and like, you know, scoring right. and, uh, you know, we can talk about Isaiah Stewart shooting and I think he can, sh- like, I'm, I don't think he can shoot yet, but I think he's going to shoot. Long yeah, term. Yeah. And it's not there. Right. It's not a hundred percent there yet. Right. But it's, it's more than that when you get to like the moments that matter in the NBA, like for sure it's, can you attack a closeout that's heavy and then make a passing read or can you short roll and can you, ha- can you be multiple in some way? And I'm a little bit worried about if Isaiah Stewart can be multiple enough offensively to consistently be a four man. I guess right, and, and, and that's fair. He's shown flashes this year of attacking closeouts and making reads, but again, yeah. he's also traveled sometimes too. And that's, I, I think my idea is, I think when when I talk t- people Pistons fans that don't care for Isaiah get at me because he's like, well, he doesn't do this. He does. I'm like, he's shown something new every year. Yeah, and so like I'm not gonna put a cap on what I, like what Isaiah can become. Like I saw his rookie year, him just shooting threes, and I'm like, all right, I think he can shoot three one day. And now he's hitting 33 percent on four attempts a game, and he was at yep. in December he was shooting 38 percent. He's attacked closeouts. He's also traveled. And the thing like you said about his character, I, I asked Isaiah, I was like, are they just giving you a hard time because it looks funky when you take off, or are you actually traveling? He's like, no, I need to slow down, and it's just yeah. like. Guys like that, like I just don't want to put a cap on when they show you enough flashes of things. But I agree with you; he's he's not there yet. There's a, there's an idea of what it could look like, and a lot has yep. to go right for it to look like that. But to your point, there's just certain guys I just wouldn't put a cap on what it can look like. And obviously, I'm not saying it's gonna be LeBron or anything like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think there's a world where it could work. Is all I'm I agree. Trying to say yeah, yeah, I agree with you that it can work. And again, like. Isaiah Stewart's 21. Like he is yeah. really young. Yeah. He is really, really young still. I actually he has forget figured that out. often that he's not like 23. Yeah. And he's like a mature human being and he looks like he's 30, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's just so physically enormous that he just, he has the frame that already has developed. Right. right? So I'm with like, I, I'm, I'm with him as like a super versatile chess piece, but I, I love him as like, you know, a four man, maybe you start him next to Durin occasionally, then you take him off early. You bring him back as like even a small ball five man, yeah, you know, fair. in the late first quarter, early second quarter. And then you have that positional versatility where if Jalen Durin is struggling in ball screens and teams are attacking him relentlessly and just going for it, which I don't, we'll talk about Durin in a second here. Yeah. I love Isaiah Stewart as a potential small ball five long term that can like, switch maybe uh you yeah. know on to tough players and can be like a pick and pop guy and can give you corner three-point floor spacing like i almost like him is like a maxi kleba type yeah. or something like that yeah, yeah you yeah. know like I, I love i love what he brings to the I table like I, i'm a big fan i would pay him like yeah. I, I would he's like he's one that's you know i know that there was some question about moving sadiq bay not from pistons fans that watch a lot right, right. uh because I think the Piston fans that watch a lot were like, he's kind of slow, struggles defensively, yeah. hasn't come along enough as a shooter. 
I, I would have much rather paid Isaiah Stewart than Sadiq Bay. And if they had to pick one of those two, I think the Pistons made the right call yeah. on Isaiah Stewart. Um, Jalen Duran. Now, how would you grade Jalen Duran's defensive ability at this point? Because I, I've seen a lot of Andre Drummondy stuff in a way that <laughs> concerns me, but he is also still 19 and I don't want to, overreact to it necessarily because he just moves better than Andre does. Yeah. That's a great question because it's kind of the theme of the conversation and the theme of anytime you talk about the Pistons, the flashes are like amazing. Um, Yeah. When you see him, when you see him quick to react and, and get something in the air and smash it off the glass, or when you see kind of just the foot speed for how big he is at times, it's like, man, like if it comes together consistently, like you said, like it's going to be a problem. But then there are times where it's like the reaction time's a little too slow, where sometimes you want him, like you wonder why he didn't go for a block shot. I don't know if that is just like reaction time or if that's just like feeling uncomfortable helping over and on help side defense. Like I think the biggest thing for me with him, and again, it's probably comes with time is like just the reaction time. Like, can he, yeah. can it be a little bit more consistent? And Dwayne has talked about that a little bit too. Just, it just takes a little bit of time for guys to figure out the speed in which you have to make a decision in this, le- at this level. Um, and it's very hard to, to blame a young man who's just turned 19 and even yeah. in his own right, hasn't played a super ton, a lot of basketball at a high level. Like, again, he's 19. Um, yeah. I, I, I agree with you that it's like not there yet. And there are like, you hope it gets better because it can be great, but it's, there, it's very much a work in progress, but I don't think any, obviously any of that stuff is physical stuff. I think more of it is rep stuff, like just repping. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like he is the guy for me in that front court where I'm just like, okay, this guy's like a definite starter long term. Yeah. Like the, the worst case scenario for Jalen Duran is that he is like, a 15 and 13 guy. Yeah. Right. Who's like a, you know, who can switch out onto an Island against, you know, twos and threes occasionally mm-hmm. maybe struggles long-term in ball screens, but has a lot of upside beyond that as well. Right. Like if we're talking about that, that's like the worst case scenario, I think for Jalen Duran long-term, mm-hmm. yep. like he's already 19 and averaging like nine and nine yes. per game. And if you look at the like games where he has started and the games where, uh, he's played like more substantial minutes over the course of, you know, what, what has it been since like early December, something like that? Yeah. Yep. Around then. Yeah. So like from early December until early February, that 25 game stretch, you know, averaged 11 points, 11 rebounds, one block a game and shot 70% from the field. Yeah. Right. Like all of that stuff. Uh, that just bodes well for him being at the very least a starting center in the NBA all-star upside. If it breaks right in terms of the defense, but the defense is where he needs to, like, if I was, if I was the Pistons, I would just like force him like eyes open a clockwork orange style to just watch like (laughs) straight up, like pick and roll coverages defensively for the next, you know, six months and learn every single thing he can about his angles, obviously get him on the court, get him figuring out those angles that way. That is by far for me, for him, the swing skill. Yes. People can talk about the passing. People can talk about 
the potential to shoot it. People can talk about everything else. That's all cherry on top stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If he can't defend in ball screens, that's the problem. And he has every ability to do that long-term. He's just struggling with it right now. The physical tools are there. Everything is very attainable for him. Mm. He just has to be willing to put in the time and the effort and the energy and be willing to learn. The last guy. I think you nailed it. Yeah. The last guy we haven't talked about is Jaden Ivy enough. Uh, yeah. And that's where we'll close this. Jaden Ivy has been fucking phenomenal for six weeks. And he's, I, I, I didn't think he would be this good this quick. So I know you were high on him. We've talked about this. And it's I was, our, I it's had him thing. in, yeah. Yeah. I had him in the same tier as the like Paulo, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren group. And I, I came, I came so close to having him in the top three. I really did. Yeah, I, I remember I you telling Jayden. me that. I love him so much. Um, the thing that is most impressive to me with Jaden Ivy is that Jaden is obviously one of the ten best athletes in the NBA. Something yeah. like that, right? Maybe fifteen. I don't know what the number is, but unequivocally, in terms of power, explosiveness, first step, all of it, like he can, he can go by anybody. Basically, yeah. I think too. Just to interrupt, because I love we talk about this on Presser. I think one with Jaden. I think people thought initially like he's a high leaper. It's not that he's a, he gets up high. It's the quickness in which oh, he gets past people and off the ooh. floor. Yeah, like yeah. that's what separates him. It's not how high he jumps. It's how quickly he gets off the floor or how quickly he gets past people. That just like is second to none with the ball. That's a hundred percent right, and that is a great call. Yeah. Uh, the thing that has been most impressive to me, though, is actually the ability to downshift. Yes. That's what he's developing. For like the he's last month and a half, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Like at Purdue, the thing to remember with Jaden is like they play that style of basketball that we see now with Zach Eady, that we've seen, you know, this year uh, with him. We saw last year with Eady and Trevion Williams. Uh, Trevion Williams alone when Jaden was a freshman at Purdue. They don't necessarily run a ton of ball screen stuff. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that it would take him a little bit of time just to get the footwork down, just to get like the little, the little ways that guards are able to maintain their advantage by positioning their bodies or shielding the ball from defenders snaking around ball screens, little tricks of the trade like that, downshifting, yep. everything, hesitation. Jaden has always had like a great hesitation game because of that elite first step, but hesitating when you're coming like downhill out of a ball screen is a little bit different than like out in ISO hesitating and just zooming, right? Yep. So in the case of Jaden it's that ability to downshift now out of ball screens. He'll take a ball screen. He'll string it out for another step. Now mm-hmm. he'll kind of pause and then like continue to play on two feet, maintain his balance and then make a decision. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to get that first step. I see a wide open lane that I know with my athleticism, I can beat the rim protector there. Other times it's, I'm going to slow down and, and make a better decision. So you look now, <laughs> Over his last 21 games, he's shooting 45% from the field, 38% from three, 74% from the line. 
averaging 16 points, four rebounds, six assists versus only three turnovers. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that he now has that ability to not look like things are moving a million mile an hour for him and process things. I think that is the biggest difference from end of November to now. Like it's night and day. um, And you, Troy talks about this too. You don't really know how much you don't really know. You, you, you do your research and you learn about a guy, but you really don't know how much he works or X, Y, and Z until you get him in, in the house. Oh, Jaden yeah. is ridiculous worker and he works after practice yeah. on the snaking and the pick and roll coverage and the mid range. Cause obviously he didn't shoot it well and he didn't have a great middle in between game in college. He struggled early on and that's even slowly gotten better. His mid range game. Um, that just not enough good things to say about it. I didn't think he would shoot the ball this well. I still don't even know if I believe in his shot, but I can't say anything <laughs> because like it's going in and at a great clip. The yeah. free throw thing is concerning. I do think like eventually maybe you have to make like a little mechanical tweak with his shot. I don't know what it is. It just, it seems like there's, it's just, I don't know. It goes in, so I can't say anything, but I think that there's three areas or two areas where he, I think, really needs like the next steps. It's the finishing at the rim, and I think part of that is just right now he's just still goes goes too quick at times. Um, and just like if you look at his numbers right at the rim, I it's I don't know exactly what they are, but they're not great. Um, and then defensively, he has all the tools to be a phenomenal point of attack defender. He has the yep. mentality. He has the physical gifts. He, I think sometimes he one he gets too high in stance. Often, I think that that hurts yeah. him. And two, um, just like just being locked in all the time on that end and not letting if something happen on offense dictate your your thought process defensively. Like obviously, he's yeah he he plays with his heart on his sleeve. Um, his, <laughs> that, that's his, the thing. Put it yeah, nicely, like, yeah, like he, stuff in, affects him. The next, he, he's impacted by the next play. He's got to get. He's got to get past that at some point, and he will. He's young. Yeah, like the, the intel on Jaden was like very, very, very competitive. Yeah. Uh, extremely competitive, like in mm-hmm. a good way. Like wants to win badly, but also that can happen from yeah. time to time. Hard on himself. Yeah. Hard on himself. Yeah. And I don't know. I'd rather have that than someone who doesn't care. <laughs> I agree. Sure. I agree. And we'll finish on this comment here from seasons and Sloan in the YouTube chat. Hate that we were robbed of seeing him and Cade together. I mean, the good news is you're not robbed of it. You're going to see it next year, mm-hmm. but actually I think this has been great for Jaden. And I think this is actually potentially really good for the Pistons not that Cade got hurt and is going to miss this time, but the Jaden got some real reps running the show and got all of these ball screens in in-game moments to develop the things he needed to develop mm-hmm. in terms of slowing down, in terms of just like getting more comfortable against NBA talent. Yeah. I think that long-term, it wouldn't be a stunner if we see this as like, a blessing in disguise the next time we see him and Cade play together. I think that that is a great point and uh, something that obviously Pistons fans in the moment, it's hard to find a lot of positives, but again, Cade was the straw that stirred the drink. 
It was once he went, it wasn't going to look pretty with them. It definitely wasn't going to look pretty without him. I just, I, yeah. And maybe I'm too close to it. I just, I, I just can't find myself yet to be sour on their direction. Like I, I maybe last year more people were more excited, but like I don't feel any less optimistic about what it could become. Like I just think I'm not worried about Kate, even though Kate hasn't been here. I'm not worried about Kate as, as we've talked about, but like to see how quickly Jaden improved. To yep. see how quickly Jalen has like shown to be an NBA player, Isaiah Stewart. I I still think part of the Sadiq trade was because they trust Isaiah Livers, and yep. he's just a solid like utility. Piece. Like Hamadou Diallo's had a great year. He's finishing sixty percent at the rim. Like there are reasons to be excited. And we haven't even talked about like Bojan and Alec Burks, who are just professional buckets. Totally. So like you add another top pick, you got cap space. Like. Are they going to be world beaters next year? No, and I I would I would uh, tell Pistons fans not to to believe that this team should be a playoff team. If it happens, cool. It's probably not going to happen. But like, oh, I, th- I, I, I think I next year. Are you are you ready? Are you ready to say it? I think if they get Vic, they're a playoff team next year. I oh, don't I'm know. If, oh, I'm with that. I don't yeah, know if yeah, they yeah. get like I don't know if Brandon Miller is you know they're a playoff team next year. But if they get Vic, they're definitely a playoff team. Can I ask you a question that I have in our in my questions I sent you? Just I want to hear people that are watching us to get your answer. Well, let's let's save it for that. Let's, All right, let's, let's save it for that. All right, let's give right. them a preview. Yeah. Let's you know go read the thing James and I will have coming on Tuesday. Yes, at the Athletic on the Pistons and some of their young guys. Uh, did you ask me about Killian Hayes in that thing? No, we uh, we have uh, no, we are we are past that phase. So someone asked me about Killian Hayes. Oh. Escobar Furious Senior. I will just note, look, Killian has worked his ass off defensively. I think he's gotten better. Ultimately, it just really comes down to the shot. And yeah. there's been no... He had a month and a half s- where it was like, oh, and then it went away. Yeah, so 29 game, 29 game stretch from November 18th until January 19th where he shot 35% from three, averaged 12 points and seven assists. That's a really good stretch that should be somewhat encouraging. I I mean, he shot 25% from three since then. Yeah. Like it's, you know, you can't be good for 30 straight games and then go back to shooting 25% from three. So that's, uh, I mean, he's not a, he's not a long-term like building block for them. He is a, if the shooting comes around this off season, you know, it's a bonus for us moving forward guy. Uh, if it doesn't, no chance I consider an extension with him this off season and I want to be able to move on long-term. Yeah. I think that is the direction it is heading again. Maybe that shot becomes more consistent between now and next year. And I think if they ended up when he, when he hits the market after next season, he's obviously nobody's going to meet the 10 million qualifying offer. If things are on the up and maybe he gets to 34% next year as a three point shooter, I could see them like giving him backup yeah. point guard money, like three for 15. Yeah. Three. For, no, like, I, I, don't, I think that's kind of his destiny. The best case scenario is the a backup point guard right now until we see the shooting. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to have you on again at some point before the draft, probably yeah. around the lottery. If you made me bet, um, 
we'll talk about the potential roster fits with some of these draft prospects at some point. I've seen a couple of comments in the YouTube comments, like asking about Scoot and asking about Brandon Miller and things it's in like the that. P- it'll be in the piece. Cause that was great. Yeah. It'll there, it's glad, glad that you asked about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, James, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's, uh, what's going on. Uh, JL Edwards, I on Twitter, uh, go to the Pistons tab on the athletic app or desktop, wherever you consume, uh, your content, you can check out the Bun and Cardigan show. It's a pod, Pistons podcast I do with Nicholas Hankel. Um, and honestly, for me right now, I am just waiting for the season to end. It's a lot of it's going to be a lot of draft heavy <laughs> stuff for for a couple weeks, uh, unless unless James Wiseman uh, scores like thirty points a night for the next week. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm heavily shifting to to draft stuff here soon. Yeah. Um- Speaking of draft stuff, I promised you guys a big board by the end of this week. It's coming early next week now. We have it slated, I think, for Tuesday, largely because of my own scheduling issues, not because of like anybody on The Athletic or because we were trying to figure things out. Sam um, has shit to do, people. Busy well, I, man. Yeah, I've, I have an enormous draft guide to write, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've written like... 35,000 ish words now. So how, how do you split up your, like, so when do you, do you aim for a certain amount of words a day? Like how do, I've never asked you that. Oh, you I spend, mean, like an hour and a, two hours and make sure you spend two hours a day. Like how, how do you split it up? Uh, <laughs> good question. Oh shit. Do you just like, lo- are you losing power? Yeah. That storm is hitting. Like we actually might need to wrap this up just so I don't <laughs> ruin uh, any podcast thing. To answer your question, I uh, it's hit or miss depending on the day, and it depends yeah. on like if I'm like wiped after a podcast, like it gets hard. Yeah, um, yeah. So you are a human. Having said human. that, this is the earliest I've started the draft guide. Typically, at this point in the season, I am at zero words written for the draft guide, like officially. I love that, and the fact that I'm like ahead of the game right now is a real win and i'm very happy about it because <laughs> i remember last year you were up against you were like rushing toward the end right like wasn't there weren't you last year was time? a bit rough yeah, yeah, yeah. i last remember something like rough. that yeah um this year the goal is to have it done like i want to have like the top 60 which is like the main profiles that yeah. i do i want to have those done hopefully by like mid you know maybe even the end of march mid-april Love and then that. After that, it's just kind of filling and everything like that. The hope is that by the time we have actual draft declarations outside of the international guys, we'll be able to run this in like, you know, late May, early June, as opposed to the last few years where it's been like draft week or yeah. like the day of the draft, <laughs> you know, two Not days it. before the draft, yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. last year, I think. So you guys will have more time with I it this year. wait. It's going to be great. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe to everything you can to support the show. Go subscribe to that YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Bassini. Go subscribe to Bun and Cardigan, which is James' uh, podcast on the Detroit Pistons. Go subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Game Theory. Uh, leave ratings, reviews, everything like that. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. <laughs>